tuning into the Martial Arts Podcast Show, aka Maps. I'm your host, Kay, and we have uh, your co-host, Bear, as well. So for today's episode, we have a very, very special guest from the heavyweight division, heavyweight of the world in Salat. So Jibril has been competing for UK, representing UK, and you competed in Singapore or Malaysia or both. Did you compete in Malaysia or Singapore? No, I competed in, in Indonesia in 2016 and in Singapore in 2018. And I went in semi-final in Singapore. You went, <clears throat> which one did you, you got one silver medal for Fr- uh, France or no, for UK? Bron- bron- bronze medal for UK in 2018 in Singapore. The Indonesia one, what did you get there? No, nothing, unfortunately. Oh, so you competed there. So the Indonesia one, you got a bronze one. Yeah. Perfect. perfect. The there. So, yeah, so DJ, thanks for coming on to the show. You could tell us um, from the beginning uh, how long you've been doing martial arts. I'm doing martial arts since beginning of 2015. So, before uh, 2015, before seven years ago, did you have an interest in martial arts? Did you do other martial arts before the last? No, actually, actually, no. I, I, I've always been very interested in martial arts, but before 2015, I never really get into it until basically uh, I discovered Silat. What other martial arts did you try before Silat? I'd be not that much, bro. I just try maybe one session of kickboxing, but for me, kickboxing is not really martial arts. Do you consider it more the sports side? Yes. Yes, for me, it's more, you, you know, you don't have basically in kickboxing, it's just a fight. You don't have the spiritual side like you have in proper martial arts or basically the healing side as well, which is basically quite important because they are all combined. Like in Silat, you have spiritual, you have artistic, you have fight, self-defense. So it's like a good combination of while kickboxing is just, you know, sport, sport fight, that's it. So Silat is practice. all around the world but even in asia even in asia you have a lot of people asking what is salat they're not very clear what salat is 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 one of the lesser practiced ones out of the traditional lot out of the traditional ones because uh, i presume you you went into it for the traditional side which encompasses the spiritual uh and the traditional training can you maybe tell us give us a bit of introduction on what salat is i was saying that basically silat is a martial arts developed mainly in southeast asia mostly in indonesia malaysia and um, singapore uh they used to develop it there is many stories on how it has been developed so some people, some legends are saying that it just was a woman basically who saw one day a fight between a tiger and the an eagle. And you have some other story who said basically that it's just like few people, few, uh, few men who was basically traveling through the jungle and they decided and they saw as well some kind of fight between animals and they decide basically to, they get inspired to it in order to basically defend themselves. Uh, so the, basically the history on how Silat has been developed is not very clear because there's many legends and theories about it and uh, in general what we can say is that um, most of the time then it's not very very practice or use as, uh, martial arts throughout the world because it, it, was, <laughs> it, it, it was quite secretive initially so I was saying that it is quite secretive until it starts to be more developed now with movies like The Raids, The Raids uh, 1 and 2, where basically people from basically Europe and the rest of the world discover it. And this is how basically I discovered it myself. So basically it's more part of the Malay archipelago, mostly in, uh, in Indonesia. So they developed it uh, as well in Malaysia and um, and Singapore, so most of mostly Silat is, is practiced over there in um, in Southeast Asia, and the theory that it has been how basically this this martial has been developed is there. You have many many theories where you you heard basically that a woman uh, see basically have, uh, saw a fight a fight between a tiger and an eagle, and she got inspired of it. Uh, basically, it was a bunch of men who basically were traveling through the jungle and they saw another basically animal fighting and they said, okay, let's try to inspire, uh, let's get inspired by this and try to, 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 to create basically a martial arts. Uh, but to tell you exactly how it has been created, I don't, I don't have, I, I wouldn't 
be able to provide your clearance service because I'm not even sure that the other people. You will need to to speak to speak with a very a very old Indonesian. Maybe it will it will have the answer for you. So Silat's got a rich history, and like a lot of um, traditional martial arts that go back to ancient times, the yeah. stories are passed down word by word, story by story, and that's why. Uh, as the practitioners go and the schools grow, it's really hard to trace the source, isn't it? It could be several different sources. That's correct. It might be exactly. Yeah. And, uh, exactly. Because of the, the region it was, it, it, it was based in or it was established in, Southeast Asia. So I, I mm-hmm. can imagine where the, the tiger and the eagle, these are all jungle animals and you get snakes and stuff like that. It's hard to put ourselves in that exactly. position now. In the urban environment where you're getting on the bus and getting on the train, <laughs> on the way to work, you see a snake fighting an eagle and the like. But <laughs> just just to jump into that, I think uh, we mentioned before Wing Chun in um, other podcasts. Um, Wing Chun, mm-hmm. some of the hands look very Salat or the Salat looks very Wing Chun. We don't know which one's which. But for a lot of the Kung Fu stars like Wing Chun, some say that there's a traveling monk, a lady monk called Mui. Mm-hmm. Spelled N G M U I, and she saw a crane fighting a snake. So that really reminds me of your story about a lady seeing two animals fighting. We don't know where the source is, but I guess it, it that tradition doesn't matter very much now. It's part of the culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's right. That's right. But 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 Silat, for instance, is quite is quite huge because even though you know sometimes when you see Indonesia on the map. Uh, it can look very small, but it's a huge, uh, huge, huge bunch of islands. So in Silat, you have, I think, almost 800 style of Silat, depending on where basically uh, you go. Mine is basically uh, what we call a boggy Silat, which is one of the, the toughest ones. Um, have, have you ever heard the story of the boogeyman? No, no, no. Tell us. So basically, the boogeyman is like I don't, to to be honest. If you are a bit, a, a bit of fan of pop culture, have you ever heard about Candyman? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You say his name a few times, and the yeah. bees come out. Yeah. The revenge comes out. The curse. <laughs> exactly. But then the story of the boogeyman is more more or less the same. So he's a kind. He was a kind. Basically, pop up every time and. He never get defeated, but he kill many people. And he's like, how can I say? A boogeyman is more like a ghost that appears and kills you and then disappears. So people heard a lot about him, but they never see him. But basically, it makes people scared, especially in Southeast Asia. If you, if you basically, when you are a kid and basically your parents want to say, oh, you need to go to bed or basically a monster will come and hit you and you go straight to your bed, right? So the boogeyman is more or less like this, but even more scarier, I, I, I would say, because as I said, a lot of people in, in Indo and basically Southeast Asia believe in it. They, they are very spi- uh, spiritual and um, how do I say? How can I say as well? Um, uh, superstitious or? Y- yes, exactly. Thank you for, for reminding me the word. Superstitious. So they do believe in it. So when you talk about boog, boog, boogie boogeyman, they are very scared of it, and they believe in it, which makes even basically the legend more more real. And uh, yeah, so basically, my silat is 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 when basically you hear people saying from Indonesia, "Oh, are you a boogies?" Basically, they are basically straight away a bit a bit a bit afraid of it. Because because of this, because of this. So yeah, I'm lucky that I learned one of the silat called Gerakilam, which is main um, in movement. Basically, in the word Gerakilam means basically inspired by movement, and is one of the the good but very secretive silat in uh, in Indonesia. So, but so as the Pokemon I said, sounds like, like an assassin. Yeah, more or less. Yes. So basically, every time you hear you hear the name, it means that someone get killed, but no one can explain how he has get he has been killed. Basically, because the assassin is that good. Yeah. <laughs> sounds like Baba exactly Wick as John I said. Baba Wick. Uh, has, have you seen John Wick? As I said. Two? Yeah. Exactly. And Baba Wick is coming, and they all get very scared. Ex- so he just takes out the whole whole clan. Exactly. So when he's talking about Baba Yaga, uh, Baba, Baba Yaga, Yaga basically is the Russian, the Russian version of the boogeyman, basically. 
the modern version. And the, the two are very connected because there's a lot of Salat that you, you notice in John Wick 2, right? They start introducing it more in number two, I believe. I think number one was uh, a mix between martial arts, uh, gun fu, so the gunfighting, and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. But number two, when the hand-to-hand combat comes out and the weapons come out, mm-hmm. the knives com- come out, I believe, did you, you met one of the the, the, the main cast as well, I, I, I remember, from the Salat team. So, uh, you mean Chechep, uh, Chechep Arif Rahman? Yeah. Y- yes, yeah, I, yes. I, I met him, I met him several, several times. He's a very humble guy. And uh, he's amazing. When you when you see him, always smiling, very humble. But you you can imagine what this guy can kill you basically in two free movements very easily. So when you <laughs> so see him, you cannot believe the knives and and the counter fighting, the hand fighting, and the, the sharp objects. Um, I I think in both basically in bare hands uh, and as well with some weapons called uh, Indonesian weapon use. I don't know if you've seen as well the raid number two. He is using a weapon called Kerambit, which is yes. one of very deadly weapon where basically you have a curved knives, basically. That was the scene when he was fighting knife, in the but... kitchen, right? Yeah, the ending scene yes. when he was fighting in the kitchen. Yeah, this one, yes. So when you see how he died, basically, it's you really don't want to die like this way because... Is very painful and is one of these weapons that can make a lot of damages, critical damages straight away. So yeah, he's very he's very good at, at it. So yeah, both bare hand or with weapon, don't mess with him. Uh, this is what I would say. So his style is very um, includes a lot of techniques, right? His style, that Asian style, has a lot of different intricate techniques. So the arsenal uh, of techniques is is really really wide. Right, uh, different to say kickboxing, where you have maximum about six moves. Uh, the the select mm-hmm. style is that they have a lot of different tricks and techniques. But the style that Chechep is doing is called Panglipu. Panglipu means uh, in Bahasa uh, beautiful. So initially, Silat is, is not even to fight, he was basically a dance initially. So uh, the woman who developed it, because basically the grandmaster of Chechep is a woman. She, she taught him how to do it. And now he's becoming one of the main characters uh, in terms of Silat Worldwide. And um, yeah, he is basically obviously using it a lot in, uh, in artistic, as you can see with fight choreography and everything. But as I said, in terms of self-defense as well, if you mess with this kind of guy, uh, it's very dangerous because Silat, basically the, the goal of Silat is not to, to see, you know, for instance, when you, when you watch movies, you see people fighting for hours and not for hours, but 20, 20 minutes doing amazing moves, etc., etc., right? But mm-hmm. in, real, in real fights, it's not what you want because if you just imagine that if you fight for 20 minutes and there's someone else coming in and you spend again 20 minutes, <laughs> you will be exhausted, right? So the goal yeah. of Silat is basically the goal of Silat is to put down someone in less than three seconds, ideally, in order to be able to deal with someone else. That, that's the aim of Silat. So the move, the move that you that you that you see in the movie, yeah, they are very beautiful. They are very intense. They are very they are made for, for they are designed for for the for the camera, but. At the end of the day, if you want to basically use Silat, Silat is to basically kill someone straight away. Not, no, no debate, whatever, or or basically be, uh, be worried about what's gonna happen to your opponent. The goal of Silat is to kill. That's the thing. Something that you need to remember. So, what's your training like then for Silat? What kind of stuff did you do? Like, so you have you have several. You have basically, as I said, to to um, to care before. You have four parts. You have the artistic side, mm-hmm. you have the self-defense side, you have the sports side, and you have the spiritual side. Did I repeat already spiritual or, or not? You said, mm-hmm. yeah, you said spiritual. Yeah. This is why I'm interested because like, it seems like a very good uh, combination of everything, of well-being as well, uh, including that spiritual so, side. If you can sort of describe yeah, the, have, physical, the physical activities. You have the, yeah, you have the spiritual side and the healing side as well. 
so the spiritual side is basically the connection with earth mostly so you can basically achieve that mostly with a lot of meditation a uh, mm -hmm. lot of um breathing breathing techniques that can help you basically to connect uh and improve as well your skills for when you are fighting and uh also be be able to connect with your ancestors in a way is i'm not uh, i'm i'm not into into that as a bit already myself but i know basically one of my one of my coaches really into it uh i have as well some some people i know in indonesia that, that can basically teach you teach you that but me personally my in terms of training if you in terms of practice wise what i'm doing in terms of training is that i'm training four five times per week so and it combines basically more or less everything you i can start basically monday training artistic and then on tuesday i'm doing self-defense and then on Thursday, I'm training uh, sports, sports a lot. And finally, I'm I'm basically uh, training a bit, a bit of uh, spiritual, but mostly breathing. But the breathing is not for the spiritual side, but more for the physical side. And then on and then on Sunday again is it can be a combination of all of them. It's very comprehensive. How long does a training session last for? Then? So ideally, ideally. At the beginning, I used to do three hours per, per session, but now with with the COVID and everything, uh, we reduced to, to, to very two long hours. sessions. Yeah, very long. Do you have the traditional warm up drills and stretching drills before you start class? Yes, yes, we do. We do a lot of uh, you. You do a lot of warm up in order to avoid injuries because during the training you can go on the ground, you can jump, you can kick, you can punch. So uh, you do, I think, a very good 15, 15 minutes uh, warm-up. But it, de it depends where you are. Like, for instance, when, when, uh, when, I train to Indone uh, when I train in Southeast Asia, for instance, when I went in Thailand, we were doing basically uh, stretching before doing the, the warm-up uh, drills. While here, basically, you do first the drills in order basically to warm your body up and then do the stretching. So it's very different depending on where you are and basically how the climate is, how the temperature are, basically. So with the diverse, very diverse style of Salat, uh, the idea I'm getting in my head is, is kind of like Kung Fu, but in the Indochina region. So for the Southeast Asia region, it's practically their style of Kung Fu or their style of martial art. Uh, as in, it's not uh, a very concentrated, rigid set of style. It is basically Salat to, to someone local in Southeast Asia. It's basically saying, oh, I'm doing martial arts, I'm doing Kung Fu. You can't really uh, narrow down to which style because there's so many different styles. So basically, the, the, what is interesting as well now is that the social class you are in uh, play a lot of a like. For instance, if you go to wealthy families in, in Indo or Malaysia and thing, they don't do Salat. They do white time mostly, but if you go to the jungle, to the basically the the region where basically people doesn't have much, they start to do silat. They do silat. So if you want to learn silat, you will. It's more likely that you need to go uh, on the countryside rather than on the big city like Jakarta. You still you will still be able to do silat in Jakarta, obviously, but it won't be basically the main sport because the wealthy people are doing white time. They're not doing silat which is interesting. While in Europe, when you come to Europe, you see that basically it's more people of mid middle, high class who is doing Silat, which, which is quite interesting. When you're abroad, you do it for the culture. I think when you do it in the local area, uh, as part of the historical route, those regions um, uh, still have that feeling that it's in the jungle and it's very dangerous, where there's no, not much surveillance. So I think where you say people from the village do it, they do it to survive. So for them, it's like a, a technique to survive, where, like you mentioned, the richer areas, they don't have to worry about survival as much, and they can work on their sports, their physique, and their recreation. So maybe for them, from their perspective, Thai boxing is a recreational sport, so they could do sporting. But for the poorer people who have to travel from one village to another village, they don't have time to mess around on the sporting, and they just want to execute their self-defense really quickly. 
Yeah, that, that could be one of the reasons, in, indeed. Uh, but no, nowadays, even if you go to the jungle in in Indonesia, it's not that uh, you will basically uh, meet a lion or something like this, or basically uh, a pirates or whatever. Um, most of the time, now, basically, most of the people who go who train silat in the jungle is because you don't have to buy anything. You just have to show up, and someone will teach you. It's free. You know what oh, I mean. Incredible. So is 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 more because of DJ. So sorry, can you hear me again? Yeah, you said you don't have to pay. It's more because of yeah, because it's free. Basically, you just show up. You have master here. He said, "Okay, I will teach you Silla." So this is something one. This is one basically of as you said recreational activities that the kids can have rather than playing football because even football when you if you want to play football you still need to buy a, a ball right which is not the case in Silat. Silat you have basically a shirt a jean and you can you can go to the class and train that's it so it's more this is basically what Chechep was telling me uh, when when you asked how do you did you discover Silat he said well in my village we didn't have much and uh, it was one of the few sports that you can do for free and this is how basically he started Silat initially. So it's almost like a culture or like a religion or like a lifestyle, right? Um, like in the villages, it's just something you grow up with. Exactly. So basically, when you when you go to uh, an Indo vi- uh, village, it's very funny because you have all these these masters who basically train Silat, but they meet all together first. They have a coffee. They discuss about life, everything for two, three hours. And suddenly, like you there, you wait for them three hours. Three hours later, they said, okay, let's go train. And it's already midnight. And basically, when you are tired, they said, okay, let's go training. You know what I mean? And not training for one hour, for three hours. Do it again, do it again, do it again. And you say, what the hell? Like, you waited for three hours. But yeah, for them, it's like, it's just a part of thing. You you go grab a coffee with friends, and suddenly you say, okay, let's train Silla. You know what I mean? So it's like very, it's very fascinating. Is it, yeah, but it's true. It's very fascinating. Like you, you drink your coffee, then you have the dinner and things, and suddenly, boom! They said, "Okay, are you ready to train?" Well, I was ready three hours ago, but if you want to train now, obviously because of the respect, you won't say you won't say that to the to the masters, right? But you are obviously you will say, "Yeah, let's go." Indonesian coffee, uh, it is good coffee. They're, they're famous for their coffee, the Jakarta coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Exactly. The rhythm I'm not into coffee myself, but they are big fine. It's probably the different rhythm here. You have work, you finish at the office, and you have to get a train, and you have to do the session, and then you have to go home, and you have to prepare for the next day. Probably there, uh, in the more rural areas, that you, people manage time in a different way. There's a whole different rhythm. Yeah, that's that's true. That's correct. Yes, yeah, the, the the style of the style of life is completely different than Europe, definitely. I've seen a select practitioner, and what they had was that they had this. Uh, I think they call it Indo style bag, which is like a beanie bag across the neck, and they, he was teaching these moves where, when he takes the bag off, it's a bit like a scarf, and they use that as a weapon to to defend against attackers. And they could wrap up their opponents and strike with the bag as well. Mm, where did you, where did you see that? So that was in a Hong Kong workshop. Uh, they were teaching Silat, so it looked very okay. Kung Fu style. Uh, they also yeah, but it, it's weird because they had that traditional side where it looks like ninjutsu. Mm-hmm. If there's such a thing as ninjutsu, because mm-hmm. I mean there might not be a thing called ninjutsu, but it looks like that ninja, maybe slightly kung fu that kind of a very creative side. But he also taught Mm -hmm. a close quarters combat, which is extremely attractive because the close quarter combat, uh, it gives the impression that it's very practical because of the movement looks very like almost military. Like you could imagine if soldiers fight, we we know that soldiers don't use hand-to-hand combat, unlike the movies, but the movies and the popular culture do try to sell a soldier style of fighting, right? And the close quarter combat you might see in some video games like Metal Gear Solid, is a very set style, like you see in, uh, say, James Bond or The Bourne Identity. And that's what I saw they use. And the Silat, because they use the hands quite a lot, it had that kind of mm-hmm. like, military style to it. Yeah, exactly. As you said, in, uh, in the Jason Bourne, uh, Jason Bourne movies, 
Uh, I think they are using, I'm not, I'm, I don't think, I'm sure they are using Scylla, but uh, when you see, I think, um, the extra out of when they are explaining the, the fire choreography uh, of, of Jason Bourne, the guy was saying that basically what you need to do when you are fighting is to use everything that you can hold, you take your, take your hand on, has a weapon like do you remember in Jason in Jason Bourne? I think the number three oh, yes. when he's fighting with the book, with the yeah. book. Yeah, that's it. So basically, it means that everything that you can use as a weapon, use it. And the good the good thing with Silat is that since it's everything everything in Silat is basically related to biomechanic. Every every move that you do with the hand. They can help you to do it with a weapon that you're gonna use, like the blocks, the punches, the kicks, of all this kind of thing. All the moves that you are using, basically bare hand, they are useful as well when you have the weapon. So it's creativity and speed combined, and try to maximize anything you have to use it against the opponent to finish the fight. That's a bit like exactly. um, Jackie Chan movies as well, because I know that Jason Bourne. I remember the scene with the book, um, and that was really effective. The way they they directed that. That that shot, um, you know, Jason Bourne basically trying to use uh, weapons, and I know Jackie Chan used to do that as well. I'm not sure if it's similar, but it, it, he used any anything, right? I mean, that's that's something he's known for, right? Mm -hmm. But ja Jack, Jack, Jackie Chan is one of uh, my favorite actors, to be honest, and uh, <laughs> I think he he did he did a lot for me to basically promote martial arts. Even though he, he did it sometimes in a funny ways, the, the way yeah. he did it, basically all 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 his stunts he's doing it himself. I don't know basically how, how many things he he breaks uh, during his movies, but when you see basically the the extras of his movie, you can always see him getting injured. So respect to the man. He's very creative with uh, the props. He is on the side that is completely opposite to that. You, you're also. Um a part of the season one of this podcast we call road black belt and uh we adapt that quite a bit because we, we end up learning <laughs> along the journey that martial arts is not always based on the black belt system so we call it road to championship and you're really fitting in the road to championship so you you did the sports side of salat which is completely different it sounds like it doesn't mm -hmm. have the same weaponry and it is a different game altogether Silat doesn't have a black belt, right? No, no. Silat doesn't have belts. We well, we you only have have belt in sport Silat, not not in basically in self defense. What we call beladiri, they don't. So in sport Silat is just basically to to define who is doing what. Like for instance, you will have the athletes, the one who's gonna fight. We wear a white belt. Then you have basically the coaches uh, who wear an uh, orange belt. And then you will have basically the wasit and the juries, which are basically the referees and the guy who organized the championship, who will have basically a white, a white suit and a yellow belt, while the athlete and coach have a black suit and orange belt for the coaches and white belt for the athletes. So how would you um, work out on the grading? Or is the grading system more about their personal experience? Like this person has X amount of years, a bit like a plumber or, or engineers. Like, it's not so much on a belt system, but oh, this person, like DJ has 10 years or DJ has five years. How, how does grading work in Salat? That's the thing. Uh, the grade, the, I think this is something that I believe Silat will need to work on is that it's very hard to define a grading because you can you can say to people, oh yeah, I'm training Silat for, for six years. But if you train only one, one day a week, at the end of the day, you didn't train for six years, right? It's very different. Like if you train for, if you train for six years and you train every day, you will be more skilled than the guy who trained for six years once, once per week, right? So this is basically the main problem that we have in Silat is that in terms of grading, is very difficult. Only basically the, the senior people who are above you will be able to tell you which, at which level you are, actually. When basically you do some drill with them, they will say, okay, you're ready to do this. You are ready to do that. But 
they won't be able to say, oh, you are an expert after three years. It's not possible to say, oh, you are an expert after three years or you are basically a mid-level after three years. It's very difficult to, to say that. This is a problem. And even though you didn't train for that many years on the sports side, you was very, very committed, I remember, and you was representing the country. As soon as I jumped into Silat, I was first, initially, I, I wanted just to, to fight, to 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 discover what basically what what is a martial arts tournament. This is why I was really committed. I was training five times per day, for instance. So which was quite exhausting but very useful. Because the good thing is that as soon as you step into the ring, it's another 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 story. Whoever you can basically train for for 10 years or whatever, as soon as you go into the into the ring with people inside for the first time. It's it's a it's another thing. The feeling that you have, I think there is very few things in life that can basically relate to it. So it was it was quite amazing. Um, so I start I started. I think my first tournament was in Austria, and people say, "Oh yeah, you're gonna do well. You're gonna do this, this." And it was a very small tournament. I think we had maybe only 50, 50 fighters in total, and basically all I lost all my fight. I had three fights, three. Three defeats <laughs> because I was fighting much more experienced fighters. So I, I, I at the time I, I I lost against fighters who basically did Silat for five years, six years. So I didn't know that at, at the beginning. So you learn a lot. That's a, that's a good thing. So every time you step into the ring, to be honest, you learn way more when you are basically defeated than when you are winning. You was competing in the heavyweight division, or was it light heavy? So I, I competed in heavyweight division and uh, just below the heavyweight division, which what we call basically class I, which is between 90 and 95 kilo. That's incredibly heavy. That's a, a solid heavyweight division in most sports. But if you can basically from, I think from 87 kilo, if you want, you can basically ask to, to fight in in every weight, which is basically, yeah, I was yeah from 87, if I recall. Maybe they change it now. I'm not sure. We'll see that next year with the World Championship in Malaysia, uh, if they change the weight. But from 87, if you feel that you you can defeat it, people above 95, yeah, go. They said, okay, go ahead and fight for in every weight. Do you find the speed is different from 87 kilos and then going to 95? Do you find that the intensity and the speed uh, is very, very different? Like maybe a lot faster in the slightly lighter division. Yeah, yeah. The lighter you, you, you the lighter, the lighter the fighter is, uh, the more intense and fast the the fighter are. Is is insane. It's a big, there is a big difference because in Silat you have only three rounds of two minutes, but. Is three rounds of intense bursts. It's not like you know sometimes in in boxing where you are. I'm not doing a comparison to say boxing is shit because it's not. It's it's a real deal as well. But what I'm saying is that it's two different things. Like in boxing, you can have you can take time. Let's say the first or two round to assess your opponent, to then out, start to, to yeah exactly. You know you you just you can just throw like some some light jabs in order okay. to basically test. A, they test the distance and everything. In Silat, no, you need to go basically all the way 100%. Punch, kicks, blazing. everything. Because, exactly. Because if you go slow, you, you will get punished by the opponent straight away. Either basically because you do a, a, a slow, a, a sloppy punches, or even worse if you do a sloppy kick. Since you, you can make, you can do takedowns, you will basically find. You will find yourself the house on your ground straight away. So, can you use uh, uh, elbows and knees in Silla? Basically, now what's what's happening now is that uh, they implemented new rules where you will be able to use both elbows. Before you 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 were not allowed to do that. You were only able to use um, knees, but the knees has mm -hmm. to be basically uh, at at the solar plexus level, that's it. The straight one, not, you know, the lat uh, the lateral one, the side mm -hmm. one, you were only able to do the, like a straight knee on, on the solar plexus, that's it. And sometimes, depending on the referee, they didn't allow it. So it was very, it was basically depending on the interpre interpretation of the referee. That was, 
what was one of the main challenge. Uh, but now you you will be allowed to use the knees and elbows, which so can lead to many many days, um, fight. Um, uh, so just to rewind a little bit, maybe describe to people what's going on because I think we jump straight into the the fight. Uh, so you have three rounds, each round yeah, is two minutes. Of two minutes. And yeah. the competitors, uh, and, and this isn't a proper stadium when I've seen the video, it looks like the Olympics Taekwondo, that kind of setup. It is a very, very big yeah. stage. And the competitors, you have, is it one side wearing blue and one side wearing red, just to see like correct. the difference? And you have yeah, uh, protective gear. Do you have a headgear, I remember, or no headgear? No. No, no headgear because you're not allowed to, to, eat, uh, to eat the face. Okay, so no head. And you have a body yeah. armor that looks similar to the Taekwondo Olympic protective one. Similar to that, like a vest. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you have what we call, yeah, the body pad. But at the end of the day, it's not protecting you about anything because every punch, every kick, you can feel it. But it's more for basically for the... For the for the jury and for the athletes to know where 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 side of the body you can target because you are not allowed to kick to kick low. I mean, you are allowed to kick low, but it needs to follow to follow up with something higher, like on the body part. Like if you do like a slow um, uh, um, a, um, a low kick at the tie level, for instance, you need to follow immediately with something on the pad, which can be a, a punch or a kick. Otherwise, you will you will get warning from the from the referee. So the point system is striking the body. That's the main game. A body, you will you will you will get points. So one one for instance one or ten punch, you will have one point. A kick is two point two point. A takedown is three points. Now, if you basically manage to do a block and do a takedown, you will have four points. So describing now, if the listener, basically... the takedown is is not so much a, a double leg takedown where you grab the legs and you pull them. It's more so like a sweep, isn't it? It's more so like a kick sweep, and then you knock them off balance. That's a takedown. No, you can you you can do that. Yeah, a kick and basically as soon as you the guy kick, you can basically do a sweep in order to take him down, or otherwise you can basically be able grab his leg and basically. Try to 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 take him down by sweeping the other leg, using the standing your leg. leg. Using your yes, leg. exactly. Yeah, you can't just yeah, use that. You can arms, use your, your leg. It's not like a wrestling. You can take down. No, you can use only your arms, but you will need to use a bit of uh, what I would what I would say some um, judo technique. You know, when you use your hip in order to take him down. But that's it. Okay. But mostly, mostly, most of the t- most of the times, the takedown that you're gonna see is because one of uh, basically the one of the opponent is throwing a kick. The guy is grabbing his leg and is taking him down by sweeping the standing leg. And once you execute a sweep, the opponent falls down. The referee jumps in, isn't it? And they they kind yeah. of reset. But the person yes. sweeping, you get they... the points. Yeah, because uh, when you sweep, you're on the ground, you need to connect with the leg. Otherwise, if you don't connect with the leg, you will start to get warning. Because basically, the uh, the, the, the sport silat is becoming more and more like uh, fencing. is a lot of strategies. So you will have a lot of athletes doing, basically throwing, um, throwing sweeps because they're tired or because they don't want to fight in order to lose points. All this stuff. So now, if you want to do a sweep, you need to connect. Otherwise, the referee will say, okay, first warning to second warning, and you will start to deduct points. So um, are you allowed to punch the head or kick to the head? No, you are not allowed. That being said, sometimes you can basically, to impress your opponent, just throw throw him a, a punch in the face. Is not allowed. You will get a warning, or you can basically knock him down. But you can do you can do it if you are dirty fighter, basically. Are you allowed to kick to the head? No, you are not allowed to kick You're to the head. To kick to the head. Oh, okay, I see. I see. So it's very heavy well, duty on the body. At the, at, yeah, at the beginning, when when they started to do sports, silat, you know, because at the beginning, at the very beginning, they were allowed. They basically allowed everything like they used to do in self defense. 
And when they were doing that for sports, you had people get basically being dead, being dead. So they said, okay, let, let's forget about uh, a, a kick, punch, everything in, in the head because it's too dangerous. So this is why now basically you wear a body pad and you target only the upper body, not the head. So how did you start from just training locally in a club and then end up representing the country? Did you have to go through local competitions? And you get chosen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So when as soon as I started, I went. The the thing is, me personally, when I started, I didn't start uh, slowly. So I went from basically one session to the week after to three session, and then four session, and then five session. So I went basically. I was practicing a lot, a lot, a lot, and then you have what we call interclub tournament, where you need to to face other people in uh, in UK. And this is basically during this fight where basically they said, okay, you can, you are, you, you can, if you win it, you can compete. Or even if you don't win it, you show great skills in terms of strategy, uh, technique, and resilience. Then people say, okay, you, you can, you can basically start to do international competition. Because the way basically we have, uh, I've been taught is that they throw you into deep water and see if you can swim with, with the shark, basically. So if you are able to swim with the shark, they said, okay. If you are not, if you are not ready yet, they said, okay. They will try, to, they will pull you out from the water and teach you again. And they will throw you back to the shark in order to see if you, if you learn from the second, second level. So in the, in the UK, if somebody wants to yeah. join one of the Silat dojos or classes, I mean, when you're saying you know throwing into the with the sharks i mean how i mean how easy is it for someone to join who's just totally beginner and they want to just join because they're so inspired by what you've said dj and what what do they do they just go join is there any pre sort of training or warm-up or ceremony oh yeah oh yeah yeah you you basically the first the first uh session that you you will attend which is free, by the way. You will have one of the coach who basically take you out together. You you won't basically you will you will do the warm up with the whole the whole group of uh, of people there, and then you will you will be taken aside in order basically to teach you a bit of things that are basically mandatory in order to be able to 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 do silat, especially you know the the, the standing uh, the the old stance, which are very very one of the basically uh, base of of our silat style, uh, what we call kuda kuda, for instance. So you basically the the, the coaches teach you how basically how to reinforce you your lower body, and yeah. then uh, you will do some punches, some kicks. To assess everything, but obviously no, they won't throw you to the shark straight away. Huh? First of all, when when I'm saying they will throw you to the shark, they ask me if if you if you feel confident to do it. Personally, I said yes, but if you say no, they don't. They won't force you to do that. Obviously, it, it's really depending on on how you feel yourself, because one the one one thing we, which is important is that the first thing they say is that. We don't want you to be injured because we know that you are you are you are working and all this stuff. So the key is if you go to tournament, being able basically after the tournament to go back to work and things and not being seated uh, due to injury at home for not doing nothing, right? So what you mentioned earlier in this podcast, you mentioned about the, the uh, healing and spirituality. With healing, what yeah. is it? Could you describe more? Like what is it? done in healing is it to how to um help somebody to heal or for yourself oh just one last question to ask about the competition side uh when when you compete sorry but before we jump to the the, the mindset when you compete do you wear gloves no you don't wear gloves so you, you can you, you can wear yeah you can wear you can wear shin pads ground guards uh mouth guards if you want usually i don't wear that Usually, I'm wearing uh, ground guard and shin pads. That's it. Do you have to wear shin pads? No, you don't. But the thing is now, especially what you realize when you realize when you do a silat is that after because of the adrenaline and everything, all the small injuries that you get from one that you picked up from one fight to another one, especially if you if you manage to progress to semi to final and things. 
when they can prevent you to fight because of those little injuries. So especially if you have an injury in the, in the, on the shin, which is not helpful, there is high probability that you won't be able to compete further if you get injured on it. So it's, it's a kind of way where basically you protect yourself in order to be able to progress with the final if you manage obviously to win, to win, to win your fights. Is that very different to boxing training then? Because you fight bare fist. So it sounds a bit like karate where you, you hit each other empty-handed as well. In Kyokushin and in Okinawan styles, where they throw a punch, they don't just land it. They want to dig their knuckles in and it, that hurts the body quite a bit. No, when you throw a punch, you want to hurt the person. But in Silat, since basically, as I said, you can throw one punch, two punch, ten punch, you will only score one point. So at the end, basically, you use more the punch as an opening to something else, like kick, uh, to basically, to basically, it's it's more an opening to 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 process a combo with your legs, basically. So yeah, you can you can you, I've seen basically people winning fights with punches, but this guy basically is a guy who basically just compete by doing punches. They won't go far usually. They they stay maybe first round to second round and that's it, because okay. all the focus is on the kicks. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, it's uh, just uh, quite interesting because not not a lot of martial arts just have all of those. It's some uh, styles just avoid it because they want more customers or they just think it's not um, interesting enough. And so this is mm -hmm. really impressive that it's got healing. And so, I mean, so my, my question was just really, I mean, what is taught in terms of healing when you mentioned that? What side of it? What And when, what do you have to do? Oh, healing. Uh, well, for healing, is, is there is one specific style of Silat who is basically very good at healing. Uh, this style is called Chimande Silat. So Chimande Silat is very known uh, in, in, in Southeast Asia because the goal of this is to break bones. You use basically Chimande Silat to break bones, to break the bones of your opponent. And since you train with each other, sometimes if it's happening, basically they learn to basically put the bone straight again and he'll help you to heal in order to train again. So this is why basically you are talking a lot about healing. But it's, it's basically used throughout Silat, but mostly um, for, for Chimande Silat, since, since they are breaking bones. But in my style, for instance, when you... When you train conditioning, for instance, you yeah. you help as well your opponent by doing some massage in order to relax, especially when when you do conditioning on the legs or with the with the arms, you use basically some some oil that we call minyak in order to ease basically the pain of it, in order for you to to avoid bruises and be able to win again the day after. And this is the kind of healing I was talking about. But is if you want really deep is it the kind of minty oil? Huh? Is it a minty kind no, of oil? No, no, it's not. It's not a min minty. Uh, to be honest, I don't know exactly what is the composition. I will need to find out. But uh, is is one usually the, the the way the way the way they, they do massage is not a, a light massage. So basically, sometimes, especially when you have a bump or something, the way yeah. they did it is that they press hard, very hard on the bump. <laughs> On the lamp in order to remove it so basically you are in pain literally in pain throughout the whole massage but the day after you are basically ready to go again for a fight so it sounds like a very deep tissue massage uh like it's similar it sounds very similar to kalari payat because they also have in that style in in from uh, kerala in india uh the style where they do have these healing massages and they do um teach how to repair uh, injuries. I'm not sure about the bones, but that is very fascinating for me. Yeah, exactly. Deep, deep tissue. But when we say deep, is very deep. Like one day I had one of my of my coaches who, who fought, and basically, if he, he threw a kick and the uh, his his front foot land on the elbow of something, so his foot was basically big as big as his head. And there were, uh, we basically we brought we brought one of the old Indonesian guy. He didn't speak uh, English at all. 
He was just looking at us, smiling. He was on his... He, he didn't even stay with us. But on that day, when basically he came and said, oh, I won't be able to fight the day after, he said, don't worry. They call him. He came. He put some uh, some oil on it, and he, he did the massage. My my coach was crying because he was so painful. But the day after, he was ready to fight. And the food basically had his normal, his normal, his normal shape. There are there are a few few healers like that. There are a few um, coaches like that who can do that. It's, it's it seems very rare that you 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 found that person who who could actually heal. So on the topic of healing, uh, DJ, when you was competing, you, you managed to um, achieve a, a bronze medal. Is it like a third place or in the heavyweight division? Yeah, yeah. third place. Yeah, third place. Uh, which country was that? It was in Singapore. Singapore. And was yeah. that also where you had the really bad injury as well? No, I think it, it was, I think, in Belgium, where, where I had my, um, my, uh, my Achilles who snapped, which snapped. It was in Belgium. In Belgium, yeah. Tell us about that story about the really bad injury, because that was a bad injury. Oh, so basically, I managed to reach the final, the final of the of this tournament, social tournament. I was fighting France actually, and um, during the second round, I was I thrown I thrown a kick, and suddenly I heard, I heard a big noise, like pop, like you know a rope a rope would basically get cut, and I start to feel like the ground was basically uneven, starting to be uneven in my under my foot. And I was saying to the referee, there is a hole somewhere. And he was looking at <laughs> and he was saying, which hole are you talking about? Which hole are you talking about? And this is why I realized that something something went wrong with uh, with my with my leg. So basically I didn't I didn't know if I have to pull out the fight or continue. But okay, since I was able to stay on my feet, I said okay let's let's continue. And we thought it was it was just one more round to do. So we managed to end the fight and I managed to win it, which we, which is cool. But then when I went to the to the hospital and I said I said to the to the doctors, the doctors, the doctor said, okay, what's your problem? I said I think I, I, I snapped my Achilles. He said okay, and he started to press my um, my calf. Sorry, my calf. So my left calf. He was he started to press my calf, and normally when you do that, you you have a reaction of your of your of your feet. Will start to go up, and mine there there wasn't any reaction at all. He said, "Yeah, you're right. You snap your Achilles, basically." So I had to go for 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 surgery. He said, "Okay, let's go to." He, he asked me, "Would you?" Like... Yeah, he was no. He was asking me, "Okay, would you like? You will need to go to surgery. You can do it here or in UK." I said, "Okay, let's go. Let's go make it to UK." So how did the Achilles actually snap during the fight? It was weird. So basically, I threw a kick, and then when I land. I heard the poof like this, and and my friends as well on the on the stand were saying, "Yeah, we we heard as well. We heard as well this noise." So it was just it was it was it was weird because I I don't know how many kicks I threw during that fight, and it never happened. And suddenly, the this one basically I slammed my Achilles. Injuries is always like this: is you can whatever you want when it's supposed to happen, it happens. When it's unexpected, when it's the least expected, yeah. Yeah. Did, did the other opponent notice? No, because I made I make sure that he couldn't. Otherwise, he would have won this fight. So I I made sure that I didn't show 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 that to him. Yeah, babe. I was the other coach. I was like the Karate Kid moment. I sweep the leg. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like DJ's got very high pain threshold to be able to fight that. <laughs> no, the thing is, what what was weird is because of the adrenaline, you don't feel anything. So it was you like you are under, um, you know the, the drug they give you when you, before you go to, to morphine. It's, exactly, uh, oh. I was under morphine. I, I I wasn't feeling any pain. It's just that the, my legs, I, that she didn't she did she, when I was sending the message from my brain to my to the leg, she didn't reply properly. But I was able to move to do things. Obviously not as as fast as I used to, but. You know, I want. I want point. That's a good thing as well. Is that it teaches you as well to 
to fight even when when you are in trouble to not show and and decide which move you can do and which you can in order to win the fight which mm -hmm. was quite helpful so it was a good experience so not just surgery but that in that round did you win the yeah, fight yeah i won it yeah you i won, won it, it. Yeah. and then you was limping off the the mat then <laughs> exactly exactly i think you can see the video in uh, in youtube actually and it uh, we need to send send it to you That, that's amazing i think that's part of the mindset really the fortitude and the grit yeah i think i remember one fight where um david i was fighting some, someone else and after the first round basically he snapped his achilles but he he kept fighting until the, the 10th unfortunately he lost but he shows the character of the of the man Bear, did you have any you hear more... me? yeah we could hear did you have any more questions on the mindset Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I think we should be a, we should do a, sort of a second part in this because uh, there can be a, quite quite a lot. I can see um, that there's a lot you can share, DJ, on mindset and sort of the the breathing you mentioned, the spirituality, and um, you know, it, it's I, I think that's probably like another podcast for that. Yeah. Ask a question, um, did, uh, DJ. Did you watch any anime, or did you play any video games when were you were younger, or now? Ah, uh, the the classic one, Dragon Ball. Ah, this is the one who bas who basically I think puts a lot of people in uh, in martial arts. To be honest, in training, right? <laughs> amazing. I, I'm, I'm still watching it. I'm still watching it. I, I still. Apart from one, I'm still watching it actually. Game. I'm still watching it actually. <laughs> You're still watching it. Did you see the Broly? Yeah, movie? the Broly movie. Of course, yeah, oh, of course. Amazing. I may have seen. They break the screen. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> I may have, I may have seen it maybe five or six times. You were so sick. I loved it. Bear, Bear hasn't seen it, but Bear, seriously, you're missing out. You haven't seen. If you haven't seen the whole franchise, it's, it's fine because it takes about three years to watch the whole franchise. But <laughs> <laughs> it does. Right? It takes about three years to watch the whole franchise. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, yeah, one no. fight scene might take about uh, 50 episodes. <laughs> That's true. But you know what? Because it, it was 20 minutes. But what I like with this. Um, With this anime is that goku is an amazing character you know why it's not because he's winning fight but the way basically if you realize most of his friends are enemies at the beginning and they manage to get to be friends at the end which is sick i loved it so your favorite character is goku yeah he's the best he's the yeah, best because we have sai uh, from maps he does brazilian jiu-jitsu his favorite character is vegeta uh -huh. and he's he's quite similar to vegeta he doesn't mind getting hurt Because he thinks that he could recover quite quickly, and then carry on. You know what? Stronger next time. The, like the Super Saiyan mindset. But yeah, the the good thing, Vegeta as well is amazing. To by the way, uh, especially basically he's he's refusing his fate. He, we all know that he's gonna be he's gonna ended up second behind Goku, but he refused that. And this is the kind of state of mind that you need to if you want to to do martial arts, I believe, because you you need to you need to to understand that the journey is never over in the sense that you can always get better if you keep training well, goku and vegeta has completely different mindset i think because uh exactly we trained a little exactly. bit together because like dj was so committed in this before his tournament he did like the weight training program and he lost a lot of weight he did a lot of cardio he trained practically twice a day And twice a day wasn't enough. He also had a tra training for lunch break. So lunch break, it'd be snowing outside, and we'll go outside. We, lunch break, we hit each other for 45 minutes. <laughs> most people. <laughs> it was it was cool, bro. It was cool. It was cool, bro. It was cool. Yeah, but most people lunch break, they go for and have a, a gossip. <laughs> We'd go out in the snow, we hit each other for 45 minutes. <laughs> That is cool. Dedication. Nice. That, nice, That is real dedication. That's real spirit for martial arts. It is. It is. Yeah, and I, I think um, DJ is, is more Goku. Martial arts is amazing. He's more Goku. Martial arts is amazing. You, you enjoy training. So Goku enjoys training because he enjoys training. He, he enjoys the fight. Yeah. He enjoys he, the, yeah. He's, he's enjoying training because he wants to get better. He's, you know, he's relentless in, the, in this <laughs> sense. Like, he's ready to basically to reach 100 years old and still training, I'm pretty sure. I don't think he know? cares about winning. That's the difference. Because so, Goku loses yeah, quite often, but he doesn't actually care about that. With Vegeta, he wants to 
absolutely he's vicious he wants to destroy <laughs> the opponent and make them suffer <laughs> and become number one where Goku he doesn't care about destroying the opponent too much he just wants to get better it's a different mindset completely exactly now Vegeta is a true Saiyan in the sense that he's there to destroy he's a show monster. that he's most powerful while Goku since basically you know since he, he hurt his head as, when he was young he, 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 he doesn't have basically his mean he's not a mean person you know all the bad all the bad side le- left him so he's just there for his family for his friend and he's just fighting to, to make them safe that's it I don't agree with that he doesn't care about his family and friends that much he cares about his training way more than his family and friends <laughs> you see the new storyline he, he's almost uh, brain dead he doesn't really care about anything he just no. wants to fight no you know if you, if you remember the the, the the Cell saga when basically they are fighting Cell do you remember Cell? yeah yeah Cell he doesn't care about when basically, he'd rather risk the whole planet and his son when he, have a good fight well when he's like when he when he sacrificed when he sacrificed uh, when he sacrificed sacrificed himself when Cell decided to go for to to be uh, his own bomb after uh, Gohan destroyed him. You remember? Yeah. In another planet. So no, I, I do believe that he cares about. Obviously, he he's he's caring more about fighting and fight bet, better or stronger opponent because he's a Saiyan at the end. But yeah, I do believe that he cares. Not like Ve- Vegeta. Vegeta as well cares, but. Is basically the the kind of old macho style where basically he doesn't show his feelings. That's the, that's the thing. But what's your Vegeta new impression well. on the new character then, Broly? Because Broly's not Goku and Broly's not Vegeta. He's something very different, right? Yeah, yeah. First, first of all, his power is unbelievable because being able to resist Vegeta and Goku in uh, in Saiyajin gods, it means that the guy is sick. He's he doesn't he's have powerful as, as uh, he just seems angry huh? all the time. There's no pain to him. That's the thing. And um, I don't know. He's, uh, uh, Broly, I think we need to, to see more of him in order to see. I'm, I'm just wondering. I'm just interested to see how he's going to be. Basically, the guy will make him evolve. Because uh, I think that's that's the main thing now. Yeah. So, yeah, Bear, Bear, I know you, you, you don't watch um, Dragon Ball. But uh, we could recommend you watch the Broly movie. Because you don't need Broly. to know too much of the backstory, because it gives you the backstory. And then there's also one where they did, uh, I'm not sure if DJ seen it, where they did Dragon Ball, but they did it in a movie format. So they compressed a massive number of episodes of Dragon Ball into one movie. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll send you the name of that. I can't can't remember the name of the movie. Then that's you quite need, good. You need, to, you, need, you need to watch as well the the. Um... The one with the the return of Freezer, which is amazing as well. Resurrection of Freezer, yeah. Resurrection. Of yeah. F, I think Resurrection F, they call it. The art, it's the art style yeah. is amazing. Uh, for people who don't watch sick. Dragon Ball, they wouldn't know what's going on. <laughs> I'm completely yeah. confused. That's true. Yeah. The Broly movie makes brothers. a lot more sense because it gives you the backstory, how he ended up on a like, different planet, and that 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 story was quite well done there. I thought. But yeah, this is basically what brought me into martial arts, this anime. <laughs> yeah, N- nine people out of ten that we've asked, Dragon Ball is a big part of it. <laughs> yeah, he, I think he had a huge influence worldwide. Culture, Whichever, right? during this, the, the, within this, our generation, any people who watch Dragon Ball who has been influenced by it, one way or another, I believe. Uh, did you ever train with heavy items though? and then try to get lighter without heavy items like dumbbells or ankle like, weights no actually um, I'm not a big fan of training with uh, lifting weights or whatever because at the end like for me personally I'm not a big fan of it for two reasons the first one is that yeah you can lift maybe 150 kg but the, the lift will never punch you or something like this so at the end of the day it's quite useless and you can be you can be built like like uh, like a monster with muscle on top of muscles, but at the end of the day, when you fight, if you are too uh, if you are basically if you have too muscles, you are becoming slow. And when you are slow, this is where basically you become an easy target. You always need to find basically the good the right balance between speed and power. So if you are too too powerful, you will, you won't get speed. And if you are too and if you have too too much speed, you won't be powerful to hurt the opponent. 
So it always is very important to to basically have the balance, and this is why I'm trying to reach myself. No, I mean I think for for the healing part we may may want to do another part, as I said. I think, but this has been very nerdy, especially with the Dragon Ball. I feel so bad <laughs> not not watching it before because I, I used to be the old school stuff like you know Akira and Fist of North Star. You know that all that kind of stuff and Dragon Ball. I mean, probably is after my time, so um, I, I, I probably missed it. I, and I think it was cancelled, though, right? No, it's not cancelled. It's just a very long-running show, but it's over thirty <laughs> yeah. years old. So it's not a it's not a new show. It's, it's over three yeah. decades of Dragon Ball now. And we talk about the animation one. The manga goes even older than that. So ah, okay. The first mm-hmm. three decades, exactly. It's not new. <laughs> exactly. Fight is just it, because. Why people like Dragon Ball is because it's quite simple. Is it's just about fighting. Uh, the storyline doesn't make too much sense, but it's very like fight heavy. The shonen style. Yeah, for for martial arts, I think everything you want to 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 see from martial arts perspective are in this anime actually. Yeah, oh, anime man. just represents martial arts quite well. Really. The, the two yeah. mediums go hand in hand, don't they? Action and anime and martial arts. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is that as well, basically Goku was not basically the fate of Goku wasn't to, to become the, the most um, the strong the stronger fighter in the in the planet of the galaxy. It was just a normal guy who basically managed to to develop himself in order to become one of the best as well. Which is Go- Goku is cool. not the one guy to jump in there. Yeah, that like, wrong idea. Goku is anything but normal. He's very abnormal. <laughs> no, but, oh, no, yeah, no. What I mean is that, for instance, you know, in the in the in the Saiyan cast, he was part of the second le- generation, second level of fighters. He wasn't part of the elite one, right? He was a very basic. Uh, 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 yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So b- basically, they, they sent him to Earth because they said, "Oh, people are weak over there, so he will be able to survive." While the the, the elite fighters, when they are kids of Saiyan. They are sent to basically tough planet they, they need to conquer, right? But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, yeah, exactly. He was able. He was able to compete with uh, Vegeta. He was able to compete with Frieza. Frieza who kill basically the whole the whole uh, whole ethnicity of Saiyan, you know. So respect, man. Have you seen Invincible? I know we're going over time on the anime nerd stuff, but have you seen Invincible? No, I haven't. Is it okay, good? No, no spoilers there, then. No spoilers there. But uh, go watch Invincible, and then yeah, yeah. We, we we could talk about that next time. Uh, and also, we could talk about with um, uh, Bear can organize uh, a podcast just with the healing aspects of martial arts. Uh, I think that'd be interesting. Yeah, I will need to 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 learn myself even more than that because I'm the, to be honest, talking about healing, I'm not comfortable in. I'm not really into it. I will need to 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 speak with people who are actually, because I can basically scratch the surface, but I won't be able to to give you all the answer that you would like to to hear. As I said, like for instance, I can I I I heard about basically the Chimande Silat, who basically which is a Silat where the goal is to break bones, which is quite quite yeah. um, quite dangerous but quite fascinating at the same time because as i said they train each other so sometimes in order to break bones to an opponent you need to train on your partner so enjoy your partner and basically help him to heal in order for 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 you to be able to get back to training together he looks sick to be honest that's incredible well let's wrap up there and we'll we'll arrange another session uh we'll bring the other fighters in it'll be a really good collaboration thank you thank you dj thank you dj Thank you as well. It was a pleasure. We'll, we'll catch up. Thanks. Thanks so much for that. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. Cheers, Thanks, guys. guys. Bye bye. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.